Before we start, uh, Chauncey Jordan and Chauncey Chase and Chauncey Bryan, uh, if my microphone needs to be adjusted, give me some kind of signal. Okay, thank you very much. Softly and tenderly. That's how Jesus works calling people to faith sometimes, but not all the time. God knows what it takes to get our attention. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goad, so I'm going to blind you for three days to steer you in the right direction. Sometimes it's hard. As was the case for the woman we are going to consider this morning. Go ahead and put up that next slide. A persistent faith. We're going to be taking a look at two parallel passages, one in Matthew and one in Mark. This is going to be the story of the Canaanite woman, as she is called in Matthew, and the Syrophoenician woman, or uh, the uh, Gentile, or the Greek, in the passage in Mark. So that's why you have uh, this little uh, red bookmark in your Bible, so that uh, you can be on one passage and then flip back and forth. We're going to try to reconcile those two. If you'll turn to Matthew chapter 15 first, would you stand with me as we read God's Word? Starting in verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. And now I'll give you just a second to flip over to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, starting in verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet could not be hidden. But immediately a woman, whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him, and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. She begged him to cast the demon out of her, out of her daughter. And, she, and he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, you have seen fit to send your Son to the earth to take on flesh 
and to be the perfect Lamb of God sacrificed on our behalf to save us from our sins, to give us new life, and to give us eternal life in heaven. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word and see the testimony of this woman, that we would see our own testimony and how you took each of us and visited us in our hour of need, in our hour of desperation, and you answered our prayer for mercy and grace by your love. We're grateful for that. Be with us as we study your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. If I could read your minds, I'm pretty certain that I would see that some of you are thinking, I love the way that story ended. But that middle part has some real problems. And it's true, there are things in these two accounts that do not seem to fit the profile of the Jesus we think we know. Jesus seems aloof to this poor woman's plight, and when he's not seeming aloof, he seems harsh, even shocking, in his comments toward her. Who is this man, and what have you done with Jesus? Well, Jesus had just concluded a major portion of his ministry around the Sea of Galilee. Lots of teaching, lots of parables, lots of crowds, lots of healing in places like Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Gennesaret. And lots of conflict and debate with the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. And lots of training for his disciples, who in a short time were going to be handed the reins of his earthly ministry. Part of that training we see in Matthew 10, where it says, And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we get a view of the mission here for the disciples. Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, has come to proclaim the kingdom of heaven to the Jews. So we see a break in all of this activity in Galilee now. And Jesus ventures outside of the confines of Judah into Gentile territory. The region of Tyre, likely to get some concentrated time with his disciples, away from the crowds, and away from the constant debates and molestation by the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees. If you check your maps in the, in the back of your Bibles, you can see that they walked about 30 miles north and west to the region of Tyre, which we know today as the country of Lebanon. Or if you're from that town in southern Missouri, Lebanon. This area was supposed to be inhabited by the tribe of Asher. But they were among the tribes that were overrun by the Assyrians in 721 B.C., and this turned into a land of tremendous idolatry, wickedness, of worshiping at Ashtoreth poles, and a land from which Jezebel came, bringing along with her Baal worship and purging the prophets of Yahweh's prophets from Israel. So the Jews had a lot of reasons to not get along with the people from that region. But people 
both from Judah and Tyre, did travel back and forth to each other's regions uh, all of the time. And as they traveled, they took news with them from Tyre into Judah and from Judah into Tyre. And the hottest news item of the day was a miracle worker from Galilee. We all know, uh, we know that people from Tyre were among the crowds that were witnessing what he was doing in Galilee. Mark chapter 3 says, Jesus withdrew with his, his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, for he had healed many, so that all that who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. So you're in the crowd. You're from Tyre. And you see this. And you go back home. And people go, How's your trip? Fine. No, you're not going to say fine. You are going to, with all of the passion you can muster, tell every detail you can remember to as many people as will listen. And it would not take but a short time for your town and the surrounding area to start buzzing about Jesus. So he's on his way, and according to Mark, his reputation preceded him. In verse 20, uh, 24, in the Mark passage, it says, And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, but he could not be hidden. What would naturally go through your mind if Jesus was coming to your town and you had a dread disease and you heard that he could heal all of these diseases or an injury and you heard that he could restore limbs, or some kind of affliction, or if your little child was possessed by a demon. In the Matthew account, it says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. In the Mark passage, it says, But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Immediately, Mark says. Matthew says, Behold, voila, there she is. Kind of like she just appeared. Jesus and the disciples got, had gotten to the place that they were staying and she just kind of appeared even before they had time to get the suitcases to the room and to check out what's on the free breakfast menu. What was her urgency? Have you ever had a demon-possessed child? Don't answer that. <laughs> Have you seen my kid? No, I'm talking about real demon possession. Her daughter's desperate situation was the urgency. Mark calls her a little daughter, and she had a demon. The profanity, the violent throwing of herself about, the foaming at the mouth, the evil 
the tearing off of her clothes, and all manner of demon manifestation that is described in Scripture. Fully on display, coming out of this little girl, was the urgency. That's what was going on in her home. Is there any urgency or desperation in your home? From time to time, it visits all of us. Desperate situations have a way of inciting you into desperate action to behave in ways that you never would otherwise. Let's consider the profile of this woman. Matthew says she's a Canaanite, probably by race. Mark says she's a Gentile. Some versions say Greek, probably by speech, and a Syrophoenician by location. There was nothing about this woman that would merit an audience with a Jewish rabbi. Nothing to give her any kind of standing with him. Non-Jews were basically non-entities, and she knew that. She was a woman. And that day, that's strike one, and that's enough to count you out to meet with someone like Jesus. She's a Greek by the way she speaks. She's from a region that's under Roman rule, and she is a Canaanite. A Canaanite. They're not even supposed to exist. They were among the nations that in Deuteronomy chapter 7 that God said, destroy them totally. Talk about intersectionality. She knows that when she appears, her chances of getting near him will be slim, much less talking to him. So how should she present herself? How would you present yourself? What would you do for your child? or your grandchild that's in a desperate situation, if they're struggling, if they're hurt, if they're wayward, if they've turned their back on God, or if they're in the clutches of addiction, what would you do? She's likely invoked whatever remedies were recommended by the religion she was raised in. She's reached out to her priest, she's called upon her gods, and nothing has worked. But now, Jesus is here. The hope, whose marvelous reputation preceded him, is here. I've got one shot at this. I've got to make it count. I've got to make a splash. I may be mocked. I may be ridiculed. I may be beaten. But this is no time for manners and maintaining my dignity because my daughter is desperate. And I'm laser-focused on the only source of hope that there is Jesus. So let's go to Jesus. In the Matthew account, verse 22 says, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Notice this woman's theology. Have mercy. She's not asking for justice. She's not claiming entitlement to anything. She is coming for mercy to the only one who can dispense mercy. Oh Lord! She recognizes Jesus as the only one having authority over demons. Son of David! Son of David! This Gentile, this Canaanite, this Syrophoenician attributes him 
as the Jewish Messiah. The same title that he would be given by the crowd as he rode into Jerusalem to the shouts of Hosanna. With this title, this woman knows that she is addressing the one coming to the Jews and for the Jews. And she's not a Jew. But he represents hope and healing and power over demons. So she's got to try because her daughter is desperate. And according to the language in Mark, begging and in Matthew, crying can also be interpreted shouting or screaming. She was very loud and would not stop and only got louder and louder and louder and it got more and more awkward especially by Jesus' response to her. How did he respond? But he did not answer her a word. What was he doing? Jesus, you seem rude. Some people say, well, he was tired, or he was preoccupied, or he was having a bad day. I don't think so. You see, our Savior knows things. In Luke chapter 6, before he healed the man with the withered hand, with the Pharisees around, it says Jesus knew what they were thinking. And in John chapter 4, Jesus dealt with another Gentile woman whose testimony was, Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Jesus knows things. And he does things with a plan and a purpose. He does this to achieve maximum impact for maximum results, for our maximum good and his maximum glory. Only one utterance from this woman would not do it. One quiet, pretty please was not what Jesus wanted from her. With her every cry, her faith grew more intense and more bothersome. To the disciples. All of this was part of the plan. Jesus knew who this woman was. He knew why she was there. And he knew what the end result was going to be at the end of this story. So, he was not ignoring. I think he was waiting. He was waiting for the disciples' annoyance to get good and frothy. We don't know how long the disciples murmured amongst themselves about her, but it seems it was long enough for them to become so agitated that they just could not take it anymore. In Matthew, it says, And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. Send her away, the same phrasing that is used in a divorce decree where the divorce is granted and then the woman is sent away. So it seems like the disciples were saying, Lord, we know you can do this. We've seen your miracle power. We know just a word will heal her. Please do it so she can be sent home and we'll get some peace. This is so awkward. We can't take it anymore. The disciples played right into Jesus' hands. Now he will remind them of the mission. Verse 24, And he answered, Hey, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Fellas, don't you remember when I sent you out? 
Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no uh, town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Oh, yeah, well, okay, we remember. We see what you mean. Makes sense while you're treating her as a non-person. We're sorry, so carry on. Now as for the woman, he allowed her faith to increase. She was all in, wasn't she? No matter how awkward it became, she must have been thinking, I know what the disciples are thinking. This woman, this Gentile, this Canaanite, she does not deserve to be in our presence. But my daughter is desperate. I've got to go on because I am in the presence of mercy. I am in the presence of hope. I am the presence, in the presence of the one who has power and authority. And as long as I have his ear, I will persevere like there's no tomorrow. I have not heard a yes, but so far he has not said no. So I go on with more confidence, embracing him tighter and clinging to him closer. In Matthew, after the disciples implored Jesus to just do something about this woman, it seems that she heard his reply. Only to the lost sheep of Israel. Maybe she was tired. Maybe by this time she was spent. Maybe she thought, this is it. Jesus said, lost sheep. I'm not a lost sheep. I'm a goat. I know it. This may be the end of the road here, but my daughter. I've got to try again. In verse 25, it says, But she came and knelt. And in the Greek, the, a better word would be bowed down. She came, and, uh, she came and bowed down. At this point, she's not even looking at him. Saying, Lord, help me. She's not screaming. She's not crying. She's just saying. Now, if you're a person of compassion, which we know Jesus is, a person who identifies with the lowly, blesses the contrite, and gives grace to the humble, which Jesus certainly does, how could you refuse this demonstration? Oh, if we were writing the story, it would end right there with her daughter being healed, and living happily ever after. But Jesus does things with a plan and a purpose. He does this to achieve maximum impact for maximum results, for our maximum good and his maximum glory. So, he's not finished. He's not finished building this woman's faith, number one. And number two, he's not finished teaching his disciples. No. He says something so outlandish, so shocking, it takes your breath away. In Matthew, verse 26, And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus, I preferred it when you were just ignoring her. And now you have to say this? What's going on? We live in a day when a statement like that would get you canceled 
and you would be shamed into an apology. I would like to thank Brandon Robertson, senior pastor at Mission Gathering Christian Church in San Diego, California, for posting a video about this last year. Because what he said so bothered me that I determined that if I ever had an opportunity to share a message, share a passage from the pulpit again, it would be this passage. Because it can certainly be controversial. Now what I'm going to say is quoting from the video he posted. Please understand that. It sickens me, what he said. And I've been conflicted all week about whether to share it. But this is the Red Bridge year of defending the faith. And there are so-called pastors of so-called evangelical, so-called churches out there that are hot to use passages like this to bring Jesus down to our level. Hey, Jesus is just one of us. He gets us. So I do this to demonstrate what happens when wokeism and critical race theory gain a foothold in a church. I was just going to refer to it. I, I was debating about whether to actually quote from it, but I settled it in my mind and heart uh, yesterday while I was mowing the lawn, which is where I make a lot of my major decisions. <laughs> Nobody's bothering you. The phone's not ringing. It's just you and the roar of the engine until I get an electric lawnmower. So buckle your seatbelts. I am quoting. He calls her a dog. What's amazing about this account is that the woman doesn't back down. So far, so good. She speaks truth to power. She confronts Jesus and corpses. And if you really wanted to insult someone, you called them a dog if you used the Greek word for dog Kuon. In Matthew 7, 6, it says, Do not give to dogs kuon what is holy or pearls to swine, lest they turn and attack you. But that is not the word that Jesus used here in this passage. He used the diminutive word for dog, which is kunarian, which means puppy or little dog or pet. Okay? Puppy. Did that make it better? Maybe about 7 or 8%. It still seems like a put down to me. So, let's dig a little deeper. Jesus was the ultimate teacher. And we know one, his, one of his most effective teaching methods was to use parables to draw pictures to make a point. You know the parables. The parable of the sower, the parable of the unjust judge, the parable of the tares among the wheat, the parable of the unforgiving servant. In this verse in Matthew, we have about a, a parable of about 15 words. He was drawing a picture using children and dogs to illustrate that there are two kinds of people at the table. The children sitting at the table, obviously referring to the Jews, 
and the little dogs, those who aren't Jews. What are the children doing at the table? The children are eating. What are the little dogs doing? We have dog parents here. I know we do. And I know you love your dogs. I love mine. Some of you have seen our, our little Maltese. Uh, Sophie, just the cutest dog ever. But when we're at the table, Sophie and, and Molly, our uh, other dog, are sitting there while we're eating and they are waiting. How are they waiting? That's around Diana because they know I'm not, getting, I'm not giving them anything. They're not just waiting, they're anticipating. If you've got dogs, you know what I'm talking about. Mark's account includes a remarkable phrase that really puts con- the uh, contextual complexion on the story. Listen closely. In verse 27, And he said to her, Let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the puppies. Oh, what this poor woman has been through. Her daughter is at home, demon-possessed. She's elbowed her way through the crowd to Jesus, not knowing how she's going to be received, but willing to make a spectacle of herself, no matter how awkward it gets. And the more he doesn't respond, the more she keeps crying and shouting. But whether she realizes it or not, he is drawing out her faith. This desperate woman is looking for any sign, any little bit of light that will give her hope. Then she hears, let the children be fed first. So you're saying there's a chance. How many times did Jesus have to explain parables? In the parable that Jesus just spoke is encapsulated the mission of salvation to the Jews first and then to the Greeks, as Paul said in Romans. And it refers back to Genesis 22. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And in Genesis, his disciples for not getting the parables. How is it that you lack understanding? But this woman gets it, because listen to how she responds to his parable with a parable of her own. Yes, Lord, some versions say, truth, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Jesus, I recognize that you are the Jewish Messiah. I've already called you the son of David coming to and for the Jews, and I do not want to take what was meant for the children. But we little dogs, we've seen children eat, and they're messy eaters. Not everything makes it into their mouths, and they're finicky eaters. A lot of times they refuse what's put before them. And we've seen how they mishandle and misinterpret what you say and do in Matthew chapter 12, we've seen how the Jews attributed the miracles you did. They attributed those 
as performed by Satan. And in Tyre, we heard you tell the city of Bethsaida that if the miracles you performed there would have been performed here, we would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. So Jesus, I'm not asking for a loaf. I'm not asking for a slice. But in all that is encompassed in the kingdom of heaven, is there any overflow for we little dogs? I'm only asking for a crumb. Can I have a crumb? Remember, Jesus does things with a plan and a purpose, and he does this to achieve maximum impact for maximum results, for our maximum good and his maximum glory. The petitioning is over. The silence is done. The point about salvation to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles has been lived out before the disciples, and they're looking at each other wondering if the mission is changing, not knowing that very soon Jesus will give them the divine mandate to take his message not just to the Jews, but to the entire world. Jesus is showing the disciples coming attractions through this woman. And now her faith has come into full flower, and Jesus marvels at her faith. In verse 28, Jesus answers her, Oh, woman. Great is your faith. You have mega faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. And Mark concludes his account with this. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. She asked for a crumb. But Jesus was not content to give her a crumb. He gave her the entire banquet. He made her a child. Come, daughter, and have a seat at my table. Out of desperation, she persevered in her faith. Even when Jesus did not say yes and hadn't said no, she persevered. Do you have that kind of faith. I know there here, there are many here that are praying for lost loved ones. There are many here whose children have turned their backs on God. There are many here whose uh, children, grown children, are about to make some very bad decisions in life. There are many here who have desperate health situations, financial situations, marriages that have been bad for a long time. What do we do? I prayed three times. That ought to be good enough for anybody. I know God hears me. No. We persevere. God, the reason I am praying today is because that if you do not give me an answer today, you will be hearing from me tomorrow. And you'll hear from me the next day. I know you hear me, and I know that you've got a plan and a purpose. And you do these things for your purposes to achieve maximum impact, for maximum results, for my maximum good, and your maximum glory.